Welcome back to the T-Draft the Film Buff Podcast. This is episode 53. Um, a couple things to get to on this episode. It's not going to be uh, a typical episode, if you will. There's actually going to be a list near the end of it. We're going to go deep dive into Tenet. I saw it last night. We're going to go with spoilers. Uh, start, probably start off with a non-spoiler and then go to spoilers, but... Before we get to that, um, starting off with some sad news, and that's the passing of, of Chadwick Boseman. Um, I mean, if you listen to pretty much any of the podcasts I've done about the MCU or Marvel movies, I've certainly mentioned how important Chadwick Boseman's entrance into the MCU was as Black Panther and as T'Challa. However, it really wasn't just i mean he's gonna be remembered probably most for those films but by no means is his career defined by that i mean it is absolutely astonishing the amount of like real life important figures that he has played and played extremely well um I mean, the first time I saw him was, of course, in 42. It was at 2013, I want to say. Uh, and he was great in that. I mean, he was, I'm just looking at his IMDb. Like, he was even good a couple months ago in Five Bloods, like, as, as their fallen comrade in that movie. I thought that that movie was really good, and he was one of the standouts, of course. Um, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, he, I like, I like 21 Bridges more than most people i thought that was a, a pretty fun thriller um and i i i almost thought that that movie kind of played well enough to build a franchise around not that that matters anymore now um but i thought that was really like a solid enough film that you could have you could have done something further with that even more with chadwick um i don't think it made a ton of money uh, but of course, yeah, all the Marvel films, he played Thurgood Marshall really well in 2017's Marshall. I'm even looking at like uh, this Netflix film, Message from Message from the King. I haven't even seen this, and I'm putting this on my watch list now. I, just, I absolutely would love to see this movie. Um, Star Luke Evans with him. Uh, God, I mean, it, yeah, of course, he was in Get On Up. Which was which was solid. Uh, uh, I think that got mixed reviews, but he was really good. Draft Day, I still have not seen, but now I feel like I, I kind of have to see that movie. I've been putting it off for a while. I gotta see that movie. Um, I mean, there's just so much quality here, and in, in such a short period of time, uh, you know, his career didn't take off until he was, I think, in his, you know, late thirties, mid to late thirties. Um, it feels like we just got to know him really uh, in Hollywood, and and the fact that you know, as you hear Mia drink water in the background there, uh, it, the fact that that nobody knew that he was sick, that he had colon cancer, kind of just makes the whole situation more just devastating and more heartbreaking for really, you know, everyone. You know, everyone I'm sure that he worked with, and of course all the fans too. I mean, I just. The last five days, four or five days, I've just seen so many great, insightful posts about what he meant to people and and, and how great of a guy he was just to, to Hollywood people, to reporters. There's tons of reporters that are just you know, tweeting out their stories about 
you know him and, and their interactions it's just it really is just devastating and, and you know after after he passed on Friday night I, I certainly watched that Sirius XM video uh, of him kind of talking about how how he helped a couple of children who had cancer uh, and and ultimately they, they passed from it and just his experience with those children uh, and it's just it, it's just it's so tough there's really nothing there's no words to really describe the, the, the impact he had and just the feeling around Hollywood and, and around online just from his his career. So that that's we had to start off with that. Chadwick Boseman, just incredible actor. It seems to be an even more incredible person. He's one of those few comic book actors that I did not get a chance to meet. He I don't think he was really at on the convention scene. And of course why would he be? You know, considering he, he had been sick ever since he became Black Panther, apparently. Um, anyway, there's no real good transition uh, from from that into Tenant, um, but we're gonna do just that. So I did see Tenant last night. Um, it was like this early access screens they were doing. Uh, you know, internationally it's been out for a week or so now, and uh, in America it's opening tomorrow i believe and then friday like a, a full wide release i'm very interested to see what the box offices will be but we're gonna get that gonna get to that in a little bit first off i feel like we, we kind of have to talk about the expectations going in right because what it, it, it's it's a very interesting scenario with tenet compared to uh, no one's other films but really compared to any film considering the the time we live in right now with COVID, right? So this is the first new movie I've seen in theaters in nearly six months. You know, last Tuesday, no, it was the last two, last Wednesday. I went back to the theaters and saw Inception for their 10 year anniversary re-release. Uh, and I never actually saw Inception in the theaters when it came out. So that was, that was great. I, I really enjoyed my time watching Inception in theaters with the big, screen the the sound quality is extremely great even on my 75 inch it can't be nearly as good as a theater um but this is the first tenant is the first movie since the way back with ben affleck i think it was march 9th was when i went to the theaters last it was a sunday kind of before everything went down so whether that's the eighth or ninth tenth whatever that was and i Going in, I just I wanted to I wanted to hopefully make it feel like it was just another new Nolan movie, and there wasn't any you know extenuating circumstances around the film. The film hadn't gotten pushed back five or six times, you know things like that. I was trying to forget all of that going in, you know, just to experience the thing fresh, to experience it without any strings attached. And you know what, like I have a bunch of beats that I want to get to here about the movie and really just around the movie. So the next thing I, I put down here was like, was it safe? Right? Because that's the, the, the ultimate question when going back to the theaters. Like, did you feel safe? Did the theaters keep it clean enough with social distancing? Do they keep the seats uh, further enough away? Like, did they prevent people from buying tickets? You know, was that done well enough? And Ultimately, I think it was. 
Um, but that's it's also a case by case. It's a person by person, right? So if if you're if you're uncomfortable going to a grocery store, then I can't and with masks and all. I can't imagine you'd be comfortable sitting in a movie theater for two hours where nobody gets to move and the air is just kind of circulating in there. Of course, everybody is masked up um, unless you're eating, which in itself is another problem. I don't really know how the theaters address that, but it's just something that rubs me the wrong way about the theater going experience right now. It doesn't feel right. Uh, to have like somebody eating popcorn a few seats away from you and everybody else is masked up and then he's just the one eating popcorn the whole time, right? It just feels weird. And again, I know the theaters have to make their money and concessions has always been their number one, you know, no pun intended, but bread and butter, right? That's, that's where they make their money. I thought it was safe though. I mean, I, I, it's not like I heard anybody coughing or sneezing throughout the movie. Um, I got pretty lost in it, to be honest. I got pretty lost in the movie. And for the most part, I did not think about COVID during it. There was a couple times where it crossed my mind. I was like, oh, that's right. You know, we're in a theater right now and, and the world has gone to shit, right? A couple times that crossed my mind. But for the most part, I wasn't thinking about COVID. Uh, and that's, to me, that was the most important part. And that was what I was hoping going in, you know, and, and like the other question is, would this experience, like, would, would this film feel different if COVID wasn't a thing? Like, would, I don't know, would it be received differently? Would more people go into the, you know, it, it's all, would you get a different audience reaction? I don't know. I mean, there's questions, these unknowable answers, really. Um, but anyway, let's kind of get into the actual experience. So, like that, that was kind of what I was going, feeling going in, uh, and was it safe? You know, and, and only <laughs> there are spreading out the, the screenings of these theaters quite a bit for a couple hours. I think more than usual. So, I, I think it's like not going to be 25, 30 minutes in between screenings. It's going to be more like an hour and a half to two hours probably but they're also not going to be open in the morning so i don't really know how i'm just guessing they're not paying people as much or they're not paying as many people to work there perhaps the hours are just different now so they haven't opened up matinee screens yet really um but anyway so a few only a few trailers played actually before the movie it was like wonder woman um kingsman the the uh, Black Messiah and the uh, what is that movie called now? Oh God, the the movie, God with Lakeith Stanfield. Oh God, it looks incredible. Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes, that's what it is. I was getting that confused. Uh, the, the the title confused and kind of flipped around. So that's coming out in January, I guess. It's going to be making a run for the Oscars, is what it sounds like at least. That looks so good. At least the people who make that those trailers. Wow. I mean, they did a hell of a job putting this one together because it looks incredible. Um, and it's based on a true story as well. I hope it's better than Black Klansman because I just wasn't a huge fan of that movie. But they played that. They played Kingsman, Wonder Woman. Um, and then they they showed a preview of Dune, which looked even even better 
than than Judas and the Black Messiah. I thought the the little clip that they played and telling you, hey, the trailer's out Thursday, which is a strategy I don't necessarily agree with. Like we're literally in the theater, just show us the actual trailer. Um, but they showed shots of basically every actor in the movie. I believe every main actor in the movie. Besides Javier Bardem, he's the last name given in the credits and the and the the roll call at the end of the trailer. But they don't believe they actually show what he looked like. So I don't know who he's playing. If he's playing the villain, I don't know Momoa and Batista and Rebecca Ferguson. And I believe it was um, uh, God. Who was in the beginning with Timothy Chalamet? Oh boy, what is her name from Harry Potter? Is she in this movie? Now I got to double check. I think she's in it. Is Maggie Smith in the movie? She sure looked like the lady in the beginning of the trailer. But doesn't look like it based on IMDb. Now we gotta look it up, because I'm like, that that lady looked like Maggie Smith. Of course, Zendaya's in the movie as well. Um, Brolin, they showed Brolin, the, David Desmalchian. Oscar Isaac. I don't even know if we got a shot of Oscar Isaac. Stellan Skarsgård's in it. Oh, it was Charlotte Rampling. That's right. That's who it was. Okay. Well, you know, she's a great actress too. So, yeah, all these people I was I was excited to see. Uh, I thought, you know, it just looked really, really cool. But we're not here to talk about Dune. We're here to talk about Tenet. So, overall thoughts of the movie. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked the experience of going to the movies again and that being really the first major movie I saw in theaters. I think it was a good kickstart back into that routine of things. How often I go, I don't know. And this is what Nolan wanted, right? He wanted his film to be the first major film back in theaters, as stubborn as he is. like That, that was his plan. That was his game plan. And he got his wish for the most part. We'll see how everything... You know, we'll see. Maybe they shut down in a month. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but I liked the film. Um, I have, I definitely have criticisms, and I definitely have a lot of questions. A lot of questions. And and a lot of them, honestly, I would, I would ask to Nolan. It wouldn't even be really about the movie. I want to ask Nolan questions about this movie. And why he made certain choices and why he continues to make certain choices about the way he makes films. Uh, Not necessarily bad choices. Uh, And let's face it, guys. I had to read the Wikipedia after about this movie. I mean, I'm going to get to that later on, but I I had to read the plot synopsis. This film is dense. It is dense. I mean, the plot is just so much i mean the best way to describe it was it was just a lot it was a lot that was the first thing i said to my friend who i saw the movie with after it was so it was that movie was a lot um and it's it's a different sort of a lot than it would be for like interstellar right because i remember coming out of interstellar and thinking wow this movie was fantastic but i have a lot of like it, it makes me question a lot of things about the movie. Like, there's, there's just a lot of plot points, a lot of thought-provoking scenes, just mind-blowing sequences. And there's pretty much all of that in Tenet, too. But this is the most overwhelmed I've ever felt watching an Nolan film. So I'll take you through 
each of the, I think the first Nolan film I ever watched, I believe, was The Dark Knight in theaters because I saw that before Batman Begins. I remember seeing those trailers to Batman Begins on uh, on the TV, and it looked scary as hell to me. Same with like when when X Men trailers would come out when I was like five or six. I was like, this movie looks scary. I'm not going to see this. But I was a little kid. I hadn't seen those movies. I was only watching Disney movies back then, basically. You know, so I hadn't seen like a legit PG-13 movie that's not Disney. You know, or at least didn't feel like Disney. And Nolan's Batman certainly did not feel like a Disney film. So I did not see Batman Begins first. I, th- I believe my order was Dark Knight, uh, then Inception. Then Memento. Then Pres- no no I'm sorry. Dark Knight. Then it was Batman Begins. Then it was Inception. Then it was Memento. Then it was Prestige. Then it was Insomnia. Then it was Following. Then I finished with The Dark Knight Rises. And then yeah, Dark Knight Rises on. I've seen everything chronologically, but there was a little jumbled. Like I didn't see everything when it came out. Of course, you know I was too young probably. For a lot of these films and then of course you know interstellar dunkirk now tenant so uh what was i even talking about here overall thoughts yeah again this is my most it's 100 the most overwhelmed i've ever been watching the movie and i like i like coming out of a movie not knowing everything about what i just watched i don't like you know Oh well, this is gonna happen after fifteen minutes, and oh, I could see that ending coming from a while a mile away, and oh, she just referenced that in this scene, so that's obviously gonna come back at the end of the movie, like right? Like no, I like that Nolan films essentially require a second viewing, um, but it's not a second viewing to understand the plot; it's to understand. It's hard to describe, but it's not like I, I, I came out of the movie being entirely confused as to what I just watched. It's more of like, I don't remember how that scene links up to that, and how does this call back to this, and wait, why did this happen again? Oh, that's right, now that I think about it, and now that I look up the plot summary, wow, that makes a lot more sense. It's not like, you know, like Mother, for example, the Darren Aronofsky movie. I don't know why that was the first movie that came to mind, but I remember seeing it in theaters, and I was being... I was so pissed off. I'm like, I know exactly why these scenes are happening, what he's referencing, but this is so obnoxious and I don't want to ever understand the full plot of this movie because it is so pretentious. It's not one of those things. It's not like a, uh, I love David Lynch, but it's not like a David Lynch film where like, I don't even know what the plot of this movie is, right? Like this scenes are happening and nothing is correlating with each other. No, in Tenet, there is clearly a through line. But to get the details, to understand every single bit of dialogue, and to get the accents all down with fast-talking scenes, you need a second viewing. That's why he requires second viewings. And I'm okay with that. And whether that sounds hypocritical, because I've definitely been definitely been critical of directors that that like make you go see their film a second time to understand it. Like I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of going back to a movie a second time and learning more about it, not better helping you understand the film uh if that makes any sense i probably just ran in circles with that explanation um but let's kick it off with nolan himself like what did i actually think of his direction of the film 
because I think that's that's an important first step. I think that Nolan is obsessed with the idea of topping himself and proving to every single audience member that the way he tells a story and the way he directs a film can be changed. Like it's He's not a formula guy. I think he, as much as every film of his has to deal with time, I don't like, I, I bet you he does not like the fact that people think his films are very similar to each other. I think he believes that every film of his is extremely unique. And for the most part, they are. Although the themes of them are, are certainly, certainly very similar from film to film. Um, and again, that's fine. You can have the same theme, you can just tell it a different way, right? Um, but his, like, I feel like in this movie he said, all right, if I don't have a big star, I don't have a pre-existing material, I don't have any of this, I'm going to prove to audiences that they will come out to see my movie without a big star, without this being based on a comic book or a big old sci-fi script from Steven Spielberg back in the day, looking at you, Interstellar. Um, you know, things like that. Things that People had no idea what this movie was about before they saw it. Even with the trailers, it is very difficult to even grasp what the, the structure of the film is going to be. You know, it's time inversion. You know, it's an international spy thriller sort of movie. That's all you really know. And it's all you really need to know going in. I would say definitely watch the trailer first. Like, it's one of those movies where I definitely would suggest watching it to get you more familiar with the look and what you're getting into first. So that when things happen in the movie, you're like, okay, I remember seeing this in the trailer. Okay, I can kind of correlate that to this. I understand what she said, you know. So it's maybe not the first time you're seeing every bit of, of scenery. And so you can actually focus on the dialogue. Because I got to tell you, the dialogue comes fast and furious in the first 45 minutes to an hour and if you're not paying attention to the you know intricate details of it you might be lost midway through the last hour or so will will catch you back up it, it will certainly catch you back up and you will be you will be right back on track um because i certainly was it, you know after the first hour i was like i don't know how much i like this because he's making me work really hard and then i had to i had to second guess myself i had to take a step back and say no 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 no. you've just been so used to sitting on your ass watching netflix and watching old reruns of old shows and watching the last dance again you just you're just not used to the fact that you should that you have to be challenged as an audience member uh when you're going to see a movie when you're watching a movie at home like you're not used to doing that because you've been re-watching a bunch of stuff and the stuff you've been watching on netflix or hbo is good, but it's nowhere near the Nolan quality. And I'm like, you're right, you're right. I'm telling this to myself, like, you're right, right. Let's hang in here. Let's just let, let's let's keep it going here. Let's let's listen to the plot as much as I can. Uh, listen to the dialogue, and let's get there. Let's get to that that point. Um, and so when when things do start to click, oh boy, oh man, there are some cool ass shit in this fucking movie. I mean, I just. I just threw an F-bomb out there because, my God, this movie is cool as hell. It is smooth. I mean, it is slick. The stuff that Nolan pulls off here is remarkable. Again, I think you have to, you have to, take, you have to take with what 
you're going to get with Nolan where you're not going to fully understand the story. The, the plot is going to be over-explained. There's going to be a big exposition scene you know, every once in a while. That's just going to happen with Nolan movies because he wants, he wants it to be as realistic as possible. Even when it involves international space travel or implanting dreams into somebody else's mind, he wants it to be as believable as possible. So even when you're second-guessing every single scene, you're like, well, God, he did explain that. When I rewatched that scene, he did explain that this works like that. So obviously, you know, we can't really question it. If he did explain it here, that's how this works. Like, so I love that about Nolan. Like, I love how devoted he is to his craft. He's not, and I, I do like Ridley Scott, but he's not like Ridley Scott where he's going to film something in three and a half months, hand it over to an editor, uh, and not be as as involved as, as Nolan would be. He's a great director, but it's not Nolan. Um, what did I think of the score? Well, it did bum me out that it wasn't Hans Zimmer. But I did see somebody say, like, if you if you didn't know this wasn't Hans Zimmer, you might think it's Hans Zimmer. Because there are certainly beats of the film that feel a little Zimmer-ish, Zimmer-like. Um, but I think I think Ludwig, Ludwig, what is his name, Ludwig Gorenson, uh from The Mandalorian, from Black Panther... I think he does it. He does a very good job. And there's certain you know pieces of music that they play from the trailer or the trailer plays from the movie that are they will be memorable. And some of the score and my my guy Jeff Snyder uh, and Chris Stuckman both pointed this out. I believe that some of the score sounds like it's being played backwards, uh, which which works because you know the movie involves time inversion, right? So that's that's kind of the whole catch of the movie. So this is, I don't even know, I'm not even really going into spoilers here, so I guess this is like sort of non-spoilery, but whatever. The characters, so, uh, and this is, this is probably going to be more spoilerish. So, John David Washington, I was very skeptical going in, because I, I wasn't a huge fan of, of Black Klansman. Um, I, the little bit I've watched of Ballers, like he was good, but they don't really ask you to do in Ballers what he's going to need to do in a Nolan movie. And this isn't Leo, this isn't Matthew McConaughey, uh, this isn't Christian Bale. You know, Dunkirk had an ensemble cast, but they did have a couple of really high-profile lead actors you know, helping the, the big cast along the way. And this is really the second straight Nolan film that there isn't there isn't an A-list actor. Like, you can consider Kenneth Branagh a big actor. Tom Hardy only plays a little bit in Dunkirk. Um, and Killian Murphy's in there, but not for long. I mean, he is he going to turn into the guy now who just cast no-name guys, and he's like, I'm going to continue to make myself as the director, the star of the movie, which he pretty much is every time. Um, and so, no, he was good. He was actually a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Now, I will say, it kind of makes sense later on when there's further explanation for it, but I think he plays the whole thing almost a little too cool and this is again this is something my guy Jeff Snyder pointed out in his review on the Snyder Cut is that when you're going through an experience like this and it's I guess it's similar with Leo DiCaprio I guess in, in Inception as well because we're kind of we already know he can go into dreams and implant ideas at that point but he had such a struggle going through those dreams with Maul haunting him in, in, in each layer essentially that you felt like this was his real first 
big mission, even though it wasn't. John David Washington in this movie as the protagonist, as they call him. He doesn't even have a character name. Uh, it does feel like he, he's he been here 10 times before and he's done it. And later on, you get explanations for why that might be, and I guess it makes more sense. Um, but I was definitely hoping... God, that's almost that's that's too spoiler. I don't. I I feel like I don't want to go into spoilers with this movie, uh, but I probably will anyway. Uh, no, he. I think I was just hoping that he would, he would have more struggle, and he certainly does. But every single time he gets into trouble, it's like he just he either punches his way out or he talks his way out. Uh, and I don't know. I I guess I was just hoping for something. I don't know. I, I don't even know what I was hoping for because I didn't really have many expectations going in. Kenneth Brown, on the other hand, plays the quote-unquote antagonist. Um, and he's he's very good. He's chewing up scenery. like He is loving his time in this movie. He's definitely a little more over the top than probably the movie asks him to be. But hey, this is the guy who plays Hercule Poirot in Murder on the Orient Express. Like, what can you expect? This guy's a Shakespearean actor. Like, He's going to chew up the scenery. Um... Bobby Batts himself, Robert Pattinson, coming off an incredible Batman trailer from last week. He was very good. Um, again, very smooth. Elizabeth Debicki, uh, serviceable, very good. Uh, not a standout or anything like that. She's played up as the heart of the film, um, but I don't know, and we'll get to that in a second, but I don't know that you really felt for her that much. Um, let's see, Michael Caine has one scene in it. And he's you know He's freaking Michael Caine in it. What do you expect? Um, let's see. Who else? Is anybody else really that famous in it? Not, not, not so much. I mean, you have Aaron Taylor Johnson show up at one point, but he's not a big part. He's an important part, but not a big part. Hamish Patel from yesterday is in there. He plays an important part. Again, not a big part. Uh, this is really John David Washington's movie. So that's exciting. Uh, it, this is what I was going to make. When I was talking about Elizabeth Debicki's character earlier, I think this is where Nolan has struggled his last few movies. With Dunkirk, it definitely was more the point where you didn't you didn't get the backstory for a lot of these characters on the beach because that was kind of the point of the movie. You were supposed to be dropped in uh, to a situation where all of these soldiers are just basically the same. They're just trying to get home. You don't need backstory for these people to understand that everybody knows how much or maybe not everybody but most people love their home more than anything else and they know that if there's a struggle to get home like that's they don't need to be told what an internal struggle that would be right so you don't necessarily need a backstory to harry styles character and finn whitehead's character to understand that struggle and uh, so that was kind of the point of that movie, where you didn't really get to know who was who. I think in Tenet, there's so much plot and so much about Tenet itself in the film as an organization that I think that they kind of forgot to really tell a story that detailed its characters, that gave its characters backstories. And again, maybe that is the point. Maybe Nolan purposely did that because it almost works better 
that that these people don't have a backstory so that you don't see things coming so you don't really understand how they're going to handle a certain situation i don't really know but it did feel a little lacking in the character area and and when when you're lacking in character certain people in dunkirk like didn't when they watched dunkirk they didn't have that emotional moment when the boats come to save them when when the normal people come to save them and all their boats from the beach um and i get that but that moment was very powerful to me and i think in the emotional scenes in this movie the few that they they try to go for i don't know that you're there emotionally with them i think you're just in awe of the spectacle of the film you're not really there there's not much heart to the film and i hate saying that because it sounds really bad um, but but like think about Interstellar. Think about the heart of that film, about how how much of a struggle it is for Cooper to once again get back home to his daughter Murph. Think about the same sort of thing with Dom Cobb in Inception. He's just trying to get home to his kids. Um, think about in Memento. All he's trying to do is just remember. He's trying to remember. I mean, everybody can relate to that. In Prestige, they're both so devoted to their craft, but they both lose things you know individually uh personally that that really tarnish their characters and that kind of you know makes them a certain way that makes them obsessed you know with their craft obsessed with outdoing each other that's character build right there i mean they prestige might be the best character based nolan film if you think about it Uh, but we'll get to that list later on um, so, you know, like, the characters were a little lacking. Like, I, I said, and I'll get to my tweet in a second, but I believe I said, like, it lacks the the focus of Inception in the heart of Interstellar, if that makes sense. It's it's a little chaotic, but it's a big-ass spectacle, and, and, and I think most people will like that, but we'll see. The opening and ending, like, Nolan films always have a pretty mind-bending opening and typically they have a really great ending Uh, i think this this film had a little bit of both i don't think either of them were his best but the opening was you know the opera house that they actually showed us last year in front of skywalker imax screenings so freaking thrilling and intense i love that opening um but it, it doesn't really compare to the bane opening the joker opening um, or or even something like Inception, right? Like they, they open and they're essentially in in uh, in Saito's dream, right? Or we think they're in Saito's dream. Um, or in Memento. I mean, the way that film opens kind of confuses you right off the bat, but it hooks you in. So I don't think you know Tenet had the best opening, um, and I also don't think it had the best closing. But there were quite a few reveals and turns in the third act that I was like, holy shit, that is awesome. That is awesome. So, and I wrote this down as like a talking point as well. It's like a bigger picture. Like what does this film mean for Nolan's career? Like where does he go from here? Like, and I think it really comes down to what his, hold on, I think Mia's chewing on something. Yeah, she wasn't chewing anything, and of course we're going to do, you know, the rest of this podcast with her finishing her food in the background. I mean, who doesn't love the sound of a dog eating their meal? The crunch 
just them going at it. I absolutely love that. That's like, that's perfect audio for a podcast, isn't it? Especially when you're in the middle of a tenant review. Right, Mia? Right, Mia? Anyway, let's let's keep, let's keep going here. Let's, let's keep going. I got plenty more thoughts here. So, uh, yeah, what what, it, what does this mean for his career? And like, to me, what I thought about after was like, I want Nolan to go back to the way he told stories before he had the budget to tell stories like he does with Tenet. I love the gimmicks that he always has in his movies. I love I love the ideas that he has, but I do want him to go back to the prestige and mementos of the world. Like those films have a specific like it, it forced no one to I think be even be even more creative in a in a space without the money or the budget to do it. And I think when people look back on Nolan's career, I think that's one of the things they're going to mention with films like Tenet and Interstellar. Um, you could even throw in Inception in there, although I think those films are basically masterpieces. Uh, I don't think Tenet is, but I think those films essentially are. Uh, and the other thing is, like, what do the what does the general audience think of this movie? Like, what what are they going to get it? Are they going to be overwhelmed, too confused by it, and kind of check out of the movie after an hour and a half, especially coming out of quarantine, especially with everybody just kind of being on their ass for the last five, six months? Are they going to be ready to go back in a theater and experience it like the way everybody else is trying to that are diehard Nolan fans that have already seen it, right? So right now, the people who are seeing it are, are pretty much either diehard Nolan fans or they're people who, you know, spent so much time by themselves you're in quarantine that they're like well we need we need to get back out there i need you we need to do something um so we'll go to the movies all right what's out all right tenant let's go see tenant uh i don't know how much money it'll make i don't know if i'm gonna go back for repeat viewings i don't know how this is all gonna work because it all comes down to safety it all comes down how many people are gonna be in the theaters when i go i do want to see it again i definitely want to see it again and probably two or three more times because that's the way it just is with Nolan films. It just that's the way it is, and it probably will always be, uh, as I explained earlier. But I, I just right now I'm in that 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 mindset where I'm like I really liked it. I just don't know that I loved it. Uh, my mind was blown by it, but am I am I like as am I as thrilled or as happy as I was after Interstellar or after Inception? You know, no, no. Did I have to be? No, definitely not. I'm just, I'm glad with what we got. I am absolutely glad with what we got. Uh, so anyway, let, let's get to what I actually said, like what I, what I tweeted out. So I said, and I put out a massive thread. I said, Tenet, as with pretty much every Nolan film, I need time with this one. It's wild, it's ambitious, long, cerebral, stuffed with plot and exposition. No one always challenges audience, but this is 100% the most inside baseball film he's ever done. Very curious to see what general movie-going audiences think. There's so much to think about and take in. It has the balls of Interstellar, the intensity of Dunkirk, back and forth of protagonist of The Prestige, and at times overstuffed plot of, of The Dark Knight Rises. But it does lack the focus of Inception and the heart of Interstellar. I do feel like no one has a tendency to think he needs to outdo himself at every turn. Most things work extremely well, but again, I want to know what non-Nolan fans think. You know, the people that don't wear 
in Nolan We Trust shirts to the theater with an exception mask like me. It's those people who will decide what Nolan does next. He's proved he can do whatever the heck he wants, but I wonder if he'll go back to the basics. I would love to see a transition back to films like Memento and The Prestige, but back to Tenet. It's another mind-bending spectacle that is inventive and no doubt contains some of Nolan's most impressive stuff visually. I just need time with this one. So that's that was my that was my reaction. That's about 40 minutes after I saw it. That was what I tweeted out. And I stand by basically everything what I said. I think it's all still true right now. And I have read the Wikipedia page since. Uh, and I think it improved my, my opinion of the film just slightly. But I need to see it again to really, really dig deep. And I don't even really know if this is a spoiler review, right? Like, I think I think I can consider some of the stuff I said spoilerish. But even if you've heard it, you really won't understand it until you see it. You, you won't understand everything. But anyway, let's get to what I want to do at the end here. And I always like doing lists. So what I right now consider my favorite Nolan films from 11 to 1. And this is so early because I've only seen Tenet once. I've technically only seen Insomnia, I think, once and Following once as well. So at number 11, it is Following Nolan's first feature-length film. Uh, I can't even really recall the whole plot, but I did buy it on Blu-ray a couple months back, and I cannot wait to watch it again because I remember it really planting the seeds of what a director Nolan could be uh, and the impressiveness of his craft at such a small budget and that's why i'm telling you that's why i want him to go back to the smaller budget anyway number 10 i have insomnia i've only seen it once al pacino robin williams uh great performances brutal i think it's yeah this and memento are, are his only two rated r films everything else is pg-13 uh number nine right now is tenant that's where it stands right now and and it's funny like Number nine, oh my god, you must have hated it. No. Number nine Nolan films is like incredible compared to most directors and most films out there. Like Tenet would be in my top 200 favorite films of all time. I don't know right now that it's making my top 100, but you know, I've seen a couple thousand films. Like what is that? I mean, that's pretty tough to get into. So uh, let's see here. Dunkirk number eight. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's similar to Tenet. I think it's just emotionally distant at times. But it's a very impressive film. Number seven, I have Batman Begins. It's dropped down my list, actually. That used to be higher. And I just think that... Uh, I just think I go back to Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises more than I do Batman Begins. But that's not to say that film isn't really excellent, because it is. And it reintroduced how to tell a superhero film uh, the right way really to audiences number six i have memento probably his most probably his best script would you say would you say it's his best script i think it might be i think it might be i'm just thinking about it it might be number five i have the prestige i just rewatched this film over the weekend uh i I just love the back and forth between Bale and Hugh Jackman in this movie. I just I love the idea of how obsessed they get uh, with the craft of, of being a magician and, and of disappearing in their hacks. And I, man, it, it's such an impressive film. Number four, I have Interstellar. Again, rewatched this film over the weekend and proved again to me the ending. Again, still a little bit. It feels a little weird, like when when Coop comes back and Murph is all old, then he just leaves. Like he's there for two minutes and then he leaves 
but that's kind of how that film goes. It just moves. It moves fast, and it makes sense. She's with her family now. She doesn't need Coop anymore. He was her ghost, blah, 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 blah. Number three, I have Inception. Again, I mentioned I saw that last week in theaters, first time in theaters, and it, it blew my mind just as much as it did the first time I saw it. Number two, The Dark Knight, and number one, The Dark Knight Rises. So those two will pretty much always be my number one favorites. And it's just the way The Dark Knight Rises shaped my love of film and same with The Dark Knight. That's just It's just going to be very hard for any film to really top that and be as impactful as those films were. Uh, it just I, I've seen those films more than any other film, and it's not even close. It's probably those two... La La Land, probably the original Toy Story, and Space Jam. That's the most I've, I've seen any film. Those, Lion King as well. Those, like, five or six films. Seen those each all, like, 50-something times, probably. Uh, and I can't imagine those will ever leave my top. So, again, real quickly, following that Insomnia, Tenet, Dunkirk, Batman Begins, Memento, The Prestige, Interstellar, Inception, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises at the top. That will do it. Have a tenant-filled weekend.